0: Hi everyone, I'm your host Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey folks, it's June 8th, 2020, and today's episode is a book review. So I figured I I finished my book that I was reading for the past week today. So I was reading the The Monk of Mocha by... Let me get this. Dave Eggers, and this is a pretty fat. This, this was a pretty uh, awesome book. Um, practically learning a bit of really the history of coffee as well as uh, Yemen and the like, Yemeni culture. It's kind of a biography of a coffee importer. I mistakenly thought it was this the biography of the founder of uh, Blue Bottle Coffee, um, James Freeman, but I learned that through reading the book that it was something much more, and this is something I'll review for a future date, but I thought since I finished a book, I should try to keep on top of my list of books that I have to review and take notes of, so I went through my library, and I figured I'll pull out Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday and talk about that. So, once again, um... The full kind of book note will be available in the show notes and it's on my blog page blog section of omdventures.com as well so if you want to read the kind of full notes I take on the book please feel free to go there and check it out. Today I'll just kind of go over some I guess particular points that I just want to kind of highlight as I guess these are the more quote-unquote important ones or ones that I thought were... Um just more impactful for me personally. So I'll just talk about them. And I make note of these points particularly in the book notes as well. So you don't have to like I guess read it twice if you listen to the podcast episode. So I'll start off by um going over the one sentence summary for Ego is the enemy by Ryan Holiday The one sentence summary that I wrote is it's it's the book to read when you feel resistance, envy, failure, and anger at the world because the problem is you and all you need is the perspective this book provides. And this kind of relates to why I particularly chose this book today to review. And it's it's a lot around the concept of resistance. Um, if you're not familiar with the term, it's something that Stephen Pressfield and his book, The War of Art, not Art of War by Sun Tzu, but War of Art, um, talks about where it's the kind of feeling that you feel when you're actually trying to go about doing work that is quote-unquote difficult and something that you believe that you have to do, and it just doesn't really align with what society or just kind of conventional wisdom dictates as something you should be doing. And it's something I've been feeling um, just over the weekend, just this kind of guilt of, ah, I should have kind of worked harder, but at the same time, I think I made the mistake of looking at LinkedIn this morning when I woke up, and I definitely felt, I think, this kind of emotion related to um, the the guilt side on resistance, where I felt I wasn't being as productive as I wanted to be, um, as effective as I wanted to be, and definitely some kind of envy as well, where, you know, when you go on LinkedIn, you just see people from your past life, or at least for me, my past kind of careers, and they have various Positions and titles, and I'm seeing people get promoted. And no matter how many times I think I go through constant career transitions, where I think the element of titles get further away. And as much as I don't really give it, you know, give a damn about what people's titles are and my own titles, I think it's hard to completely block it out. Like you still feel it a little bit, especially I think when what I do isn't easily measured on an external basis unless I become a millionaire by some wealth metric but yeah I think those kinds of feelings were definitely there and they were kind of reflected in my morning journal so I thought you know this is probably a pretty good book to review and I actually read this book I think relatively early in my journey of building OMD Ventures and it's been pretty helpful from my memory so I thought it'd be a pretty good time to look at it and the rating I gave on this book, the time of review, is that it's awesome, short, sweet, and impactful. And it's, not, it's a book I would really buy for friends, who I believe are ready to read it. Because I think um, the thing with books by Ryan Holiday and any kind of I think uh, writer that talks upon a f- any kind of topic of like self mastery or like you know the quote unquote self improvement genre, like at least the good ones. Um, it requires someone to be in a certain kind of mindset. Like, it's not something I just give to a friend who's, I don't know, in consulting um, or any of my kind of business friends who are just really focused on climbing that career ladder. I just don't think they would appreciate a book like this. But, yeah. So, that's kind of the overview. Um, let's see. I'll, so, I'll, talk, I'll kind of name the chapter and talk about kind of the key points that I want to pull out from those particular chapters. So right off from the bat, on the introduction, I think the big thing uh, that stuck out there was this particular uh, quote that, not a quote, but I guess a segment in the book that Ryan Hawley writes, so I'll read it now, quote, sure, ego has worked for some, many of history's most famous men and women were notoriously egotistical, but so were many of its greatest failures. Far more of them, in fact, but here we are with a culture that urges us to roll the dice, to make the gamble, ignoring the stakes, end quote. And this is, I think, the big, um, it's a constant theme where it's about think. I think, thinking about maybe like the statistics of it all, where ego is a thing that makes you kind of impose a negative outlook on the success of others, and that, is kind of tainted in some way um, by this envy you have an envy and ego i think it's kind of like joined at the hip just kind of like how people say value and growth investing are joined at the hip and it's kind of this this particular quote i felt reflected this kind of very annoying uh, excuse i hear a lot from other people whether it be friends peers etc where they always say that people who succeed or like you have to you have to be an asshole to be successful, or if someone's wealthy, they immediately think, oh, that person might be an asshole. If they work in finance and they're wealthy, you get the idea. people say, oh, they must be an asshole. And I I get pretty upset hearing those kinds of stereotypes because it's so lazy, and it's it's such a cheap way to try to belittle someone's hard work and what it actually takes to get to a certain point. Um, just because you're too scared and you just need to make an excuse to be able to sleep with your own lack of willpower and lack of ability to do something. And I think this particular quote brings light to that where what if, you know, I'm not saying that a lot of the top powerful people and quote-unquote successful people and like a wealth metric or title metric are not assholes. Like I'm sure a lot of them are. But I also feel that the people who got there as assholes, they might have gone there despite being assholes. Like, that's another thing where I think if if I reflect on like the work that um, Adam Grant did in his book, I think it was Givers and Takers, the most successful people are givers, and the least successful people are givers, and the people in the middle are takers. And that's kind of, an, ex- I guess, like a generalized point of view. But if I consider that, I think in most cases, people actually achieve some form of greatness are actually very nice and hardworking people who are misunderstood for an extremely long time and I feel that um, the first big part of ego is actually demeaning and not properly considering how hard it must have been for anyone to kind of achieve any level of significance or greatness Um, yeah so that's that's one particular point that I want to brood over and the next one let's see when this next one come so this is this is on the chapter of to be or to do and it's so this is kind of I think there's definitely an interpretation with what uh, Ryan Hawley considers to be the difference of to be somebody versus to do something so those are it's kind of the those are the two distinct uh, options he presents. And he identifies to be somebody as. Why do I say it so weird? To be somebody. <laughs> it's weird. As I think about it, I feel like I'm saying it in a weird way. But anyhow, to be somebody is to take on an identity. It's to be understood, accepted, and to fit in with what society dictates is quote unquote right. And it's kind of like. The example that's given is like, you know, you to be somebody you get that, you know, if you want to be somebody, you get the promotion, you get, you know, the titles and but you might have to turn your back on your friends, you might have to turn your back on um, who you are to be that somebody that would fit with the mold. Whereas to do something is to not fit with the present mold or the preset mold, sorry, it probably won't give you the promotions, titles to brag, the salary or even be liked by your boss. And, but that's okay because you'll be true to yourself and those that love you. It's, it's honestly like when I was told that I had to rewrite my goals in one of my past careers because the partners and managers at the time said it didn't align with what they wanted. Although these were my personal career goals, but it was ridiculous that to me because I was being told to rewrite it. But I think that was like the big difference because I was able to leave that career field with. Having done everything that I wanted to do, and I was doing all the work that I wanted to do, but I was not the person that the firm wanted me to be. And although, despite that, I still got a pretty fast promotion. But I think that definitely taught me a lesson that yeah, like I will probably have most people dislike. Me. I think I could easily say that fifty percent of the leadership team didn't like me at all. But then the fifty percent of the on the other side loved me I I think um, because I'm still friends with them to this day and this kind of goes into what I also think where the world may look at you know what you're trying to do and tell you it's idealistic um, especially when you're trying to do something that doesn't align with this preset mold and I think a common feedback like I've I've been getting is for a lot of people to constantly ask me like is this idealistic uh, it's just like are you being too idealistic um, especially on like what I've been trying to create or the kind of world I envision and you know the number of feedbacks I get on like you know you should get realistic on things I think the irony is that being realistic is actually playing pretend so you can fool those around you and maybe even yourself because at least what I see around is when someone says I'm being realistic it's in one way, you're constantly trying to trick yourself by saying everything's okay because you're just playing by the rules and everyone else is playing by the rules, so it's okay. And I think that is the irony that's kind of missed um, because I don't think idealism is negative in any way. It's, I think it is if, if it's not followed and followed with any action um, because it's never it's never going to be easy to act on things that are not normal Um, but if it needs to be done for you you to be true to what you believe, then that's something you have to do, and I think that's kind of the choice that Ryan Holiday alludes to, where um, when you choose to do something instead of just choosing to be somebody, you're throwing out this desire to just have an identity, but to actually do something of substance, do something that actually resonates with who you are as a human being. And I personally thought that was a pretty powerful statement. Um, Although it's, for me, empirically understood what the message was, it still, I think, has a different meaning when you still sit down and think about it and reflect on it. And especially with, I think, the various kind of career paths you take in life, it continuously, I think, adds more value as you think about it. Because you learn more about yourself as you go through things. And then... This uh, next point is from a chapter called Restrain Yourself. And the quote goes, When you want to do something, something big and important and meaningful, you will be subjected to treatment reigning from indifference to outright sabotage. Count on it. End quote. And this, like, I know I think it. <laughs> um, like, you know, when... Like this, this treatment of uh, indifference. Like, I, I know. I've definitely said the words. Do they know who I am? At at least once, and I know I've thought it tons of times. Um, I and I know. I like even as I was reading this book. There's so many parts in the book where I'd read it and think, "Oh yeah, I've def- I've definitely thought that." And to be frank, yeah, it's, it's. You know, I do feel like a jackass, and I do feel like an asshole for for thinking that or even saying that. Um, I remember, yeah, I've definitely said it a couple times, like where, you know, just out of frustration, I'd kind of shout out while I'm talking to my partner, like, do they know who I am? Or I, you know, I, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. And, you know, it's all ego, um, 100%. But I think as I was reading this book, what it made me feel was that, I'm probably not the only one that thinks it. I'm sure a lot of people think it too, no matter their background. Um, Because I think regardless of, you know, what job you had in the past, what education you've had, like whatever your background is, I think many people would probably go through this kind of thought when you rely on this kind of external world to give you some kind of answer. Um, to accept you in some kind of way to accept what you're trying to do as oh yeah, yeah, of course. of course um, this makes sense. And I also think it's also like for me personally, it's it is a mistake for me to identify with my past and that's where this comes from, right because and that's a, it's something the book alludes to as well it's not like a you know an original idea I had everything I'm talking about are kind of feelings and, Learnings I took out from the book. And I think the big topic on this feeling of, yeah, like when you think about the thought of, quote unquote, do you know who I am? And this kind of outrageous feeling you have, <laughs> feeling that you're being sabotaged by the world, it's, I think it comes from the fact that you over identify with your past achievements, what you've done. And the reality is that, yeah, like nobody cares. And, in this current moment of doing this work of yours the, the like a work of purpose really the most important thing is you know like doing the work who cares what others think if you feel the opportunity is not coming despite giving it your all well maybe you know it is maybe it's just not supposed to be that easy right and i think that's also a big part of what the chapter of uh, called you know restrain yourself is kind of reminding you to kind of you know continuously like stay humble um stop being a jackass <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether you had a million dollars or you had a wall full of awards it it doesn't mean anything in especially in a new field that you're trying to tackle and i think especially for me because i've i've constantly been transitioning in my career and this latest one has been i think the biggest transition i've ever had to make um the adjustment was also pretty difficult and there's definitely a lot of ego involved because I was coming from a world that kept on telling me I was special, I was smart, and I was constantly kind of, you know, quote unquote, um, achieving. And I'm kind of jumping off on a tangent, but uh, another kind of point that I didn't highlight yet is in the book how Ryan Holiday talks about there's these proxies of true achievement. And these proxies are things like titles, things like promotions, your salary, the projects you do, um, the amount of money like you're managing in, in a fund or maybe even like the amount of importance a project you're working on does like these are all just proxy achievements um, to what actually should be considered an achievement which is what you actually did and because you could get a promotion you could get paid a lot but the question is did you actually really earn any of it some might say yeah you did because you studied hard in university and you got this great job and so you might think that you actually earned deserve and earned every single penny of that. But in one way, like even for me, I keep on wondering whether that's actually true or not. I actually feel it probably isn't true. Um, I felt that the more the more I um have been on this journey, the more I feel like the achievements that I've actually had, a lot of it is actually like luck based. Like I, you know, as much as I Love the fact that you know I've had a couple world records in powerlifting in my belt. A lot of it's luck because there was no barely any competition when I started, and so it. Like for me, like it's something that I constantly bring up to people when they kind of get impressed at it because I feel a guilt behind it, and I think, well, I don't think I'm truly deserving of that because although I worked hard for it, I got pretty lucky too, and yeah, I think, I think that's a big uh, a big kind of theme. In the book and this kind of particular quote brings out it's where this kind of feeling you have where you feel like you should be I don't know accepted even um, understood and possibly even kind of put on a pedestal just because you have all these past achievements it really doesn't matter and I think that's definitely key because you know, if, even if it's in a similar field and you take a new job you're gonna have to learn so much and especially if it's a completely different career sure a lot of soft skills are transferable but i think there requires to be a level of humility and if the the more weirder the thing that you're doing is the more i should at least prepare to be misunderstood and it's not the world's job to learn that it's my job to do more work and show more of what I can do and actually show progress. And I think that's something um, I definitely took away from at least this particular chapter. And kind of a broader theme in this book. If you go through my long-term notes, I kind of allude to it numerous times throughout. What else? So this is a chapter called Work, Work, Work. The quote goes... Every time you sit down to work, remind yourself, I am delaying gratification by doing this. I am passing the marshmallow test. I am earning earning what my ambition burns for. I am making an investment in myself instead of my ego. Give yourself a little credit for this choice, but not so much, because you've got to get back to the task at hand. Practicing, working, improving. So this kind of, you know, once again, ties really well with what I just talked about, um, where, yeah, it's just what you're doing is you're playing the long game. And when you're playing the long game, I mean, when you're doing work that you believe has purpose, you believe like what Simon Sinek calls it, you're doing your why, you have to play the long game. You can't ever expect any short-term thing to happen. And it's, I think, a way to kind of stop yourself from getting harmed because you can't ever really work for any kind of outcome. You have to do the work, especially if you're trying to do something big for the pure enjoyment of the work itself. As, as cliche as it, sound, as it sounds, I think that is the important thing because that's the only thing that's within your control. So then if you were to define success, you should really define it by things that you could control instead of things you cannot, which is how the external world will react to whatever outcome you achieve. Even the outcome itself isn't really controlled by you, right? And To be able to be fine with that, I think you need to have this idea of delayed gratification. It's something Charlie Munger talks about where he talks, I think he talks about how delaying gratification is a really tough thing to do, but for him, he's done it really well, but he also has a temperament where it doesn't even feel like what he's doing is delaying gratification. And I think when you do something that you're actually um, kind of meant to do, it relates pretty strongly with who you are then it doesn't really feel like you're delaying gratification. At least that's what I think. Um, but yeah that's kind of the point on that. I'm just go over right notes. I feel like I might have missed a couple. I thought I had a bunch I was gonna talk about. At least in the earlier parts. Maybe I didn't and I kinda I might have gotten lost in just writing all these notes down. But no matter The next chapter is called Don't Tell Yourself a Story. And so there's a part of this chapter that refers to Paul Graham. And if you are a longtime follower of what I do, you know how much I love uh, PG. He's the founder of Y Combinator. And Paul Graham would often say, even in his, his essays that I've read, and also in this particular chapter, to keep your identity small. And I think he has an entire essay on this. And The purpose of keeping identity small is so that you can make it about the work and not about making amazing headlines because when you do that, ego gets in the way once again. And the idea is to just stay small. Just whatever you do, just focus on small. Keep your identity small. Keep your company small. Focus on solving small problems and letting scale happen when it becomes inevitable. Um, So focusing on organic growth over manufactured growth because the idea is that you you can't really know what will succeed um so you focus on all these small things you constantly iterate and once it starts kind of picking up and you build this kind of quality behind what you're doing in this small focus in this small niche with a small identity where you don't have as much distractions then you will give it enough chance for things to kind of slowly happen and the idea is that even in whether it's a business or whether it's investing, you never know what will actually work. Like there really is no business plan. Like even I think Jeff Bezos talks about how talked about how there really he, like there really was no aha moment for Amazon. No matter what the media says, if Be- if Bezos says there was no aha moment, there was no aha moment. And that's really it, I think. And this I think I'll add another point that. Um, Bernard Barak said in this particular chapter, his quote says, don't try to buy at the bottom and sell at the top, that, that this can't be done except by liars. And it's the idea that people like to talk about stories um, in hindsight after everything's successful, or everything's worked. But the reality is that no one actually really knows. And if you try to tell yourself a story, you can actually trick yourself, and you can actually become very egotistical about that, because you think you're meant to win, you think you know it all, but you really don't, and your business plan won't work, Um, and so that's kind of what this chapter is about, and I think the big thing is just kind of having humility on that, and that all you can really do is do the work, once again, you build a process, have some hope, and try to um, do the work that you believe that you're meant to do. The next chapter is called "What's Important to You?" question mark. And the first point I want to talk about is the value of being selective. And so, it's something I have trouble with too. Where you know, some people say you should say yes to everything and you should accept everything, especially early in your career, because you really, you know, you're not really in a place to be judgy. At the same time, I think I've also read from a lot of people I admire to be selective to say no a lot especially when a lot of offers come to you and so i guess that's kind of a graduation of what you should be thinking about doing Um, as more people desire your attention and time then you can be selective but i think it can also be played with like the analogy i use once again is investing where there's so many opportunities for various companies you can invest in but the more focused you are um, on the kind of companies you're looking for, the kind of principles and values you're trying to follow in your own strategy, you end up saying no to a lot of stocks. And that's what Buffett and Munger constantly talks about. Like Buffett has this 20 uh, whole punch, punch card rule where imagine only being able to buy 20 stocks for the entire rest of your life. Then you'll get really selective. Munger talks about how you should really, you don't even need diversification. You'll need four stocks or three stocks and that's plenty diversified. Once again, very selective, saying no a lot. Um, I feel like that's also indicative in investing strategy. Like there's so many different ways to invest in in the stock market and make money. And a lot of different strategies can look shiny. And the more you learn about it, the more interested you get into the various strategies. But I think it's important to specialize down into one that really resonates with who you are. I think this goes to just kind of any kind of opportunity in life, career, et cetera, where... If you say yes too often, it can actually lead to you kind of spending time doing things that you weren't actually seeking, and then it makes it ever more important that you actually ask yourself "What, um, why you do what you do, like what, what are you doing, why are you doing it, and just as importantly, asking the inverse of that, as Charlie Munger would say, what do you not want to do, what do you you not ever want to do, so that you can also have your extreme no list, as much as you might want to have an extreme yes list, because a no list is even clearer, like those are the things you just absolutely should avoid and yeah, I think this was a particularly important theme um, that I took out, and I definitely have been leaning to the side of constantly saying no a lot, um, and being very picky, at least in this part of my own journey, and it's been hard, to be honest. Um, it's been pretty hard to constantly say no all the time. And, but I also feel like that's just part of my temperament. I feel because I don't like trying to fit into a mold and because I like to be extremely honest about everything, I end up just kind of saying no to a lot of things inadvertently, which I've been fine with. And this is kind of, I don't know, maybe just drinking more Kool-Aid for me just because I want to be okay with the decisions I'm making because I think that's the right thing to do. Um i think another aspect of this is to also understand what game you're trying to play and the example that comes out in this chapter is how ulysses uh, grant he was a pretty famous general i think during the american civil war he won all these amazing battles but he eventually um, wanted to become a millionaire and he ended up losing all his money in a ponzi scheme and the idea is that all these millionaires would have easily given up all their money to Achieve as such victories of valor and success in the military campaigns as Ulysses uh, Grant did. But, you know, Grant wanted to play all the games and he kind of let envy control him and he kind of lost everything, uh, at least in regards to finances. So it's also important to understand which game you're trying to play so you can say no to a lot of the distractions and games that you probably don't want to be part of. Like, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, for example, at like a big corporate company like that's the game i don't want to play so it's something i constantly remind myself every time i see friends getting promoted getting more senior positions um where i constantly remind myself like that's not a game i want to play i really don't care if someone's a director someone's a partner it doesn't really change my perspective of who they are because i know my friends for who they are so i think that's also something important to keep in mind to free yourself from the agony and the distraction that the external world might present themselves to you Another point in this chapter that I want to talk about uh, is a quote. According to Seneca, the Greek word euthymia is one we should think of often. It is the sense of our own path and how to stay on it without getting distracted by all the others that intersected. It's not about beating the other guy. It's about being what you are, and being as good as possible at it, without succumbing to all the things that draw you away from it, end quote. Funny thing is, euthemia stands for tranquility in English, so, it's, you know, stay calm. <laughs> yeah, I think calmness is completely underrated. Um, I love taking my afternoon walks because it calms me down, and it's honestly my form of meditation. Like, I don't do Vipassana, or I used to do Vipassana, like deep breathing style meditations, but... Long walks with um, wave noises is just my jam. And that, I think, instills a lot of calm in me. But yeah, moving on to the next topic. So it's two, two topics left. Um, this chapter is called Failure. And it's just noting how fa- failure comes at the most inopportune times. It's like... You know, I guess COVID would be an easy one for many people where the businesses are just, are just getting smacked. And it probably comes at the most inopportune times. I think, yeah, like a lot of my uh, conversations with incubators and marketing partnerships all got shut down <laughs> after I kind of willed myself up to kind of build the momentum to talk to a bunch of companies. So it comes at a lot of inopportune times. It blindsides you, um, no matter how prepared you think you are, and no matter. Um, you know no matter you doing all the right things you you can still fail and the example in this chapter is um, i think it was Catherine Graham from the Washington Post where she you know did everything that she could she had all the process and everything but sometimes you it, it'll just fail like the business will just fail and failure hits you um because the world is just out of your control like every everyone will have their own unique experiences of this kind of failure and i think a, a key thing there is also to that it's just not comparable, so it's it should never be a competition. But because I I know I felt this, where I'll start thinking, oh like you don't you can't tell me about failure like you don't know what that is. Um, like I'll I'll have friends who who try to com- compare like how they've been you know they left they left their job or they tried going on their own for like a month or two and they're like oh that was so hard. I I totally understand what you're going through after not getting you know not having had like a full time job for two years. In my head, I remember a lot of times, yeah, like my initial thought is, you have no idea. You don't compare my two years to your two months. That's incomparable. But although technically, yeah, it's incomparable, but I'm taking it with this egotistical point of view of like, yeah, I'm trying to make it into a competition where I'm trying to even like imply that, no, my failure is even bigger than yours. But it's, you know, as dumb and stupid as that sounds, it's kind of the natural reaction, and I think what is required is like these moments where I'm trying to stay calm and trying to think these things through with through like a book review. Like I, I'm the kind of person apparently that needs to kind of read a full book to kind of get that kind of perspective in, because I'm just not there yet uh, in a mental maturity point of view. But I think that's definitely important to consider where everyone experiences failure in a different way. And you should never try to compare your own to others. You can try to empathize and understand it. But I think, like, I'm guilty of it too, but I feel a lot of folks, when I try, when I catch up with friends, like, they try to compare it and say that they get it when really, you really shouldn't say any of that, just more so that, yeah, that sucks. Like, that's a way better answer than saying, oh, I totally understand what you feel, when you really don't. But, yeah, I think that's a very key thing about failure. Um, And the fact that, yeah, like, you could do all the right things and the outcome just won't come the way you think. And the process could be right, but the result could just be that, yeah, like the 10% or the 1% probability thing happened. And technically it's considered a failure. But what you, do, what you do from that is, you know, you don't let a, you never let a good crisis go to waste as a famous investing saying goes. And this is an opportunity. Um, most opportunities will never say opportunity most opportunities look like shit and it's when you dig through the shit and clean it up that you realize oh that was actually an opportunity to grow and learn and I think that's what probably failure is and it's probably the one where once you do the work it was the opportunity that you actually needed and the final point I'll talk about is that it's from a chapter called the effort is enough and the quote goes you will be unappreciated you will be sabotaged you will experience Surprising failures, your expectations will not be met. You will fail. And end quote. So this is kind of something what Ryan Holiday said should would be valuable for everyone to kind of keep in mind. Um, and it's the idea that, you know, you shouldn't focus on the outcome. And the story here is how John Wooden, the famous, uh, I think is the NCAA coach for basketball, um, he would advise his players to, change their definitions of success to something that they can control because you can't ever control the outcome of a game especially the more moving pieces there are like even like a game like basketball the less controllable it is but if you can focus on your definition of success to something that you can control whether it's you know maybe you want to get you know 10 rebounds or you know score like 20 points or even you know more controllable would be that i don't know that you wouldn't You know, you're playing defense that you'll never let the opposing player get away from you, if you're playing man-to-man. I don't know, I'm just making things up as examples. But yeah, I think defining success by things that you can control, metrics you can control so that you're not so impacted by the uncontrollable outcome is a very important thing to consider. And that's where the effort is enough, where success is about doing the work. Um, And recognitions and rewards are extras, and rejections are the loss of people who reject you. So focus on the work and that's what success is and that's it for today that's kind of my overall kind of overview summary on Ryan Holiday's book Ego is the Enemy talking about some few important points but I highly encourage you to kind of read through my book notes if you're interested in reading about the book Um, I have a mix of comments as well as quotes directly from the book as well so hope you enjoyed it and I hope to have you back here again tomorrow all right take care